my name is Emily. So last spring, it was 2022, I was finishing up my degree at Northwest and I had kind of just been praying about what God wanted next for me. And I knew for a long time that he had called me to ministry, but I had no idea what that was gonna look like. And just as I had started praying about what was gonna come after I had graduated, I felt like doors were just kind of starting to close. And I was like, I, God, you called me to ministry, but like, why are all the doors closing? And I had kind of just started surrendering to God of like, whatever you want for me, that's what I'll do. Um, so I'll just wait for you to call me. And I went home that night and I went to bed and God woke me up at like 2 a.m. And I just kept hearing, surely my goodness and mercy will follow you. And I woke up and just pulled out my Bible and I was still like, God, why am I reading Psalm 23 at 2 a.m. and what does this mean? I went to church the next morning and there was a missionary speaking. And the entire time this guy was speaking, my stomach was just like turning and my heart was pounding. I think the one area of ministry that I had kind of never been open to was missions for whatever reason. It just was like, that's too uncomfortable, that's too far for me. When he finished speaking, they played this song called Wherever You Lead. And as I was like singing the song, I was like, God, this is, this is like my prayer, like wherever you lead, that's where I wanna be. Like I ultimately know that whatever you have for me is gonna be far more fulfilling, far better than anything that I could do on my own. And um, so in that moment, just like as I surrendered, my friend Brooke started walking over to me and, and she just looked at me and said, Emily, you're called. Um, and I was just like, I know. That was really the start of God calling me to missions. Um, and actually a few weeks before that, I had committed to um, going down to Gleanings for the Hungry to serve on their summer staff program on their empowerment team. I was like, okay, I guess this is just how we're starting. I'm very good at administration and I didn't expect God to use that within missions, um, but he absolutely has. And he's revealed passions to me too, of like developing and discipling people and um, yeah, just opening new doors and opportunities through that. And so I served on their empowerment team again this summer. And uh, we actually, we got to go to Nicaragua within the first few weeks of being there to be able to go to Nicaragua and see the impact that it actually has on the people receiving it was just um, so incredible. And what's next for me right now, I'll spend three months in a lecture phase, just learning about God and missions. And um, then we'll spend two months on outreach in Africa. I'm really excited just for what he has next. And I know that he's called me to full-time missions and I've just continued to follow what he's placed in front of me. morning. Good to see you in church today. I hope God gives you a gold star for this. I love what Emily said. First of all, you're not the only person. If this is you, you're not the only person saying, God, what am I doing reading Psalm 23 at 2 o'clock in the morning? Because some of you, you're up in the middle of the night. You're like, well, I might as well pray. And I want to remind you, you're not the only person doing that, seeking God, trying to wrestle with God and figure out your life. That's, that's, that's all of us. And when she talks about that moment at a gathering where at the end of the gathering, she's singing this song, God, wherever you lead. I want to tell you that for every believer in Jesus, there's this moment. That's, that's really the, the anthem of a believer, right? Is, is that we say, God, wherever you lead. But often it comes out like this. God, wherever you lead, I'll follow you, right? Anybody identify with that? And it's not always easy to say, God, wherever you lead. Because sometimes I want to say, God, wherever you lead, except for that, right? And so to really, I want to challenge you, if you missed that part of her story, can you say today, in all honesty, and if you can't, get there, God, wherever you want my life to go, that's where I want my life to go. 
Because I know that your plan will always be better than mine. Even if it's hard for me, I want your best for my life, not my own plan. There's something powerful about saying that prayer, God, I will follow you wherever you lead. And uh, we have a group of people that just came back from a mission trip, 10 days in Panama. If you didn't get to go, go next time. You're going to hear some good stories about that even today. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 3 today. The message is entitled Living on Mission Part 3. We had a two-part series on missions in March, and we're bringing that back to close it out today after this uh, all-church trip. If you don't know me, maybe you're new or you weren't, I wasn't here last week. My name is Peter Degon. I'm the lead pastor in this church. I grew up in this church. I've been in this church for 40 years. A long time in one church, right? And um, I'm 48 years old today. I love this church. I spent some time in Panama while there was some uh, civil unrest and not the, you know, kind of things that I'm used to in America. And I love the United States of America. Uh, and I love everything about it. And, uh, well, not everything about it. That would be a lie. But I'm so grateful for what we have in this country. And, uh, you know, I like to say this. God, I will go on mission trips too because I want to say to the Lord, wherever you lead, that's where I'll go. I want to make sure there's something about my faith that scares me, stretches me, challenges me. I don't want to say, God, nothing about my faith in this coming year really makes me uncomfortable. There's got to be something where the tree shakes a little bit of the wind and I go, okay, God, I'm going to walk out further on this branch, but I got to know that you're with me. And he said he would always be with us. He's here with us. Listen, don't back away from what God's doing in your life. Keep seeking him. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he meant it when he said it. And that's been true in my life and my life of faith. So Jesus is on a mission, and he's up to something all around you. And here's the great part of this title is that since he's on a mission right here and around the world, since he's on the mission, that we get to live on the mission with the Lord. Like, I am on a mission with Jesus today. Like, if you follow Jesus, you don't get bored in your faith because he's always on a mission. And so every day you wake up and you go, I wonder what God's doing in Lacey, Olympia, Tumwater. I wonder what God wants to do in my family's life. I wonder what God wants to do in my coworker's life. Maybe God has something he wants me to say to someone or bless someone or pray with someone on the street or at the grocery store today. Listen, God is on a mission. He's alive at your workplace. I know some of you say, no way, Pastor. You've not been to my office before. Uh, the only presence of God there is me, and it's getting dimmer and dimmer. All right? That, you, know, you might think that, but Jesus is on a mission in our world. And what an incredible thing to be a part of that. So he wants to shape your life, but he also wants to use you to shape others. Make sure you don't come to this place. You're like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God with my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Jesus forgive my sins. I'm going to ask him to lead my life. And then I'm going to kind of try to be nice and wait for the end, the end times to come. Like, well, what is that? Like, when you decide to follow Jesus, that's great. That's the start of the, the race. Now you got all those laps to run. Now you got this opportunity to make your life count for eternity. So don't stop there. Make sure you're serving, you're giving, you're sacrificing, you're loving, and all those things that God's called us to do, serve one another with joy. So in John chapter 3, there's this incredible story. John the Baptist has, has been told from birth, like his parents were told, he's going to be special. He's going to like precede the Messiah. And so I'm sure some where along the line they told him that. And so John is now baptizing people out in the river, and he has his disciples with him. Jesus has not you know, fully arrived on the scene yet. In fact, what has happened is John just recently pointed at Jesus, who is a carpenter's son, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Kind of a profound thing to say. And then right after that, it says this, John chapter 3, verse 25, it says, An argument developed between John's disciples and a certain Jew in that area over the matter of ceremonial washing. 
So what you need to know about that is they're already kind of ticked off. They're already annoyed. They're already in a little bit of an argument, John's disciples, John the Baptist's followers. And then verse 26, I think it's going to be on the screen with us. So John's disciples came to him and they said, Rabbi, the man you met with on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Now, don't get judgmental, you 21st century Christians, okay? Because this is, this is a weird moment in history as they're already a little bit worked up and they're already kind of having a bad moment and then they get like double bad news on top of that. Like we're losing followers. We're losing enthusiasm. We don't have the same people. People are leaving this ministry and they're going over to that guy, the one you pointed out and said was the Messiah. Maybe you've been there, you've had a bad day and then it got twice as worse. Have you been there? Hopefully it wasn't this week, but if it is, we all have uh, mercy for you. And so then John says this. John replies, listen, no one can receive anything unless God, um, unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. Everybody raise your right hand really quick, will you? On the count of three, say, I am not the Messiah. One, two, three. I am not the Messiah. If anybody didn't speak up, tell me what their name is later after service, all right? We'll, we'll call 911. Because honestly, it's kind of a crazy thing to say, I'm the Messiah. People have done that. And in that time, people were claiming to be the Messiah. So sometimes people are like, well, Jesus is just another one. Even today, there's people who sometimes think that they're the Messiah. And John the Baptist, he's got a following. I mean, imagine what's happening with John the Baptist. Think about this. There's been like hardly any like recorded prophecy or supernatural events or spirit of God for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Things have gotten really legalistic in town. Everybody goes to the temple for like religious practices, right? And God's still moving. God's still at work. But somehow something changes when John is born. And clearly the angel said, this is God's plan. And people leave the city and they go out to the rural part of the country and they go to a river, not because there's some Nicodemus, not because because there's some wise person with all these robes and really important, they go out there to see a regular guy. And he's prophetic and his words are anointed and he's powerful and he doesn't care what people really want to hear. He's going to tell them the truth. There's an anointing to John the Baptist's words that even religious leaders are leaving the city and going out there. This is a move of God down by the river. And John the Baptist and his disciples are part of this incredible move of God. They're super excited about it. And John says, let me remind you guys, I told you from the start, I'm not the Messiah. I'm preparing the way for him. I'm filled with joy at his success. And, and so this verse 30, this is where we got to land here. So John says to his disciples, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Isn't that good? Man, in your life, could you honestly say, Jesus, become greater in my life and let my flesh, let my selfishness become less. I need less of me and more of you. What a great prayer for you to pray for yourself today. Lord, here in church, I want, to become, I want you to become greater in my life and I want to become less. I don't need it to be about me, Lord. I need you in my life. By the way, the more of Jesus you have in your life, the better spouse you're going to be. You're going to be a lot easier to be a friend with, to be a coworker with, to be married to, if you're Christ-like in your behavior. More of Jesus, less of me. What a powerful, humble thing. By the way, John the Baptist is not known for humility. John the Baptist is calling out kings for their sin. You know, John the Baptist is pointing out religious leaders and saying, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, you brood of vipers? Like, so for him to be, like, so humble, a powerful personality, but knows his place understands what God wants him to do. 
John the baptizer seems to know something his disciples don't know. And he says, listen, I've come for this purpose. I've come to lay my life down. I've come to prepare the way for Jesus. And they're still kind of this, but John, we were here first. And John, the crowds are dwindling. And, and John, we're not going to be as important as we once were. And maybe you're in a place in your life where you kind of feel like I'm not as important as I once was. Maybe you've lost some influence and it hurts. Maybe you identify with some of those of his disciples. Maybe you've gone through a season like that in your life and you know the pain of it. John, we're losing momentum. We don't have as many followers. John, what are we going to do? And it's almost like John just kind of cuts in. He says, listen, guys, I was never living for those things in the first place. The amount of people that came out here to get baptized, that's not what gave me self-worth. I'm going to challenge you with this thought, and I hope you think about it. Maybe take a picture of it on the screen. Decide what you're not living for. This is important in a life of faith. People of faith decide what they're not living for. Like people of faith decide like ahead of time, I'm not going to live for money. Let the world chase money. That's not what I'm living for. I'm not going to live for the applause of men. I'm going to live for the applause of God. That's the powerful thing to decide in your life. Decide what you're not going to live for. John's like, guys, I didn't set out for large crowds. I don't need people to admire me. I'm okay. In fact, my purpose has always been to lay my life down to prepare the way to shine the light, not on myself, but on Jesus. Let me ask the question for you today. What are you not living for? Maybe you're not living for the approval of, of others, or you're not going to give up everything just to get that promotion at work. Or, or maybe you can be content without a romantic relationship because that's not essential to, to who you are. Maybe you understand you'll never be pain-free in your life, and you're not going to say, well, if I'm not pain-free, I'm not going to serve God, but you understand that might be part of your journey. I'm not living for money. I'm living my life to please God. Sometimes even your friends will say, man, you could do this or you could have this or why don't you do this? And you have to cut in on your friends and say, I understand that's a value to you, but that's just not the same value to me. My life's different. That's not what I'm all about. And the reason why some people can have a, uh, this kind of you know, less of me and more of Jesus attitude in their life is they've pre-decided what success isn't. I love the story of the Katina boys uh, it was an R&B group. They were a Christian group. They were going to a lot of youth conferences, and, and they were super talented, and they were R&B geniuses, and just, just a smooth sound. It was um, a generation ago. And, man, this guy came to them, and he said, I work for a big music label. And he said, we love your sound. We think you're the next boys to men. We want to we wanna, uh, sign you guys to our label. And they were like, pumped. Like, this is our dream come true. Like they had all, like they were brothers and family and they were so excited. And he said, so, but you're going to have to stop singing all these songs about faith and God. You're going to have to start singing about women and, and romance and, and sex and those kind of things. And their dream just all of a sudden just kind of fell out from beneath them. And he knew he said something that didn't, they didn't really want to hear. And he kind of said, what's the matter? And he said, we don't even have to give it a night. If that's what we have to do, we've pre-decided our values. And if that's what we have to do to get this contract, then we're, that's just not who we are. We're going to pass. You're going to give up? You saw how much the contract was for, right? Yeah, we saw it. But that's not what we're living for. Wow. That's a powerful thing to do. What are you not living for in your life? Clarify what matters. It's easier to say yes or no when you predecide the important issues of your life before you get to them. 
You don't get into a relationship and get into a moment where you're super excited and passionate with someone and then it's like, you know, I haven't talked about sex before marriage. I haven't made a decision about that yet. That's the wrong time to have that conversation, isn't it? You have to decide ahead of time. You know what? The Bible says a, a man and a woman will come together and, and, and when they get married and the husband and wife and they'll become one flesh in that spiritual moment, that covenant with God. So that's going to be my thing. I'm making that decision for my life ahead of time. Uh, the time to decide if you're going to tithe and honor God with your money is not when you're 47 and you've got a great income. The time to decide if you're going to honor God with your money is when you don't have any money and you're a kid or a teenager. Hey, when I actually do get money, I've made a decision before I even get there, I'm going to trust God with my finances. I'm going to put them first in my finances. You don't wait till Sunday morning and say, you know, on Sunday morning, I'll decide if I'm going to get up and go to church or not. I can tell you right now, Sunday morning, something's going to get in the way. Like we decide, hey, on Sunday morning, like for me, I've decided Sunday for me is with God and his church. That's just what I've decided. I pre-decided the valuable, important things in my life. Maybe you have some of these things as well. Maybe you're not going to take freedom for granted. Maybe you're not living for money. Maybe you're going to love humans in your life regardless of what they look like, smell like, or believe. Or even if their values are completely contrary to you, can you decide, I'm going to be a person who loves humans, not just people like me. I want to talk to you just a, a few moments about this mission trip because people say, how was the trip to Panama? You know, our church prayed and we gave and you guys, you know, did all this work down there. And I, my answer to that is it was a character building trip. <laughs> you can read between the lines quickly on that. The day before we leave, our leader, uh, Dick Netzer, his health was so bad he couldn't get on the flights. Then the next day, we, uh, we flew without him on a red-eye flight um, down to Texas, on to Panama City. When we arrived there, the missionary informed us something happened at the school and the church we were going to work at. And so we suddenly have to pivot and find a different school and a church to work at. Then he said, well, besides that, and I'm like, besides our leader not being here, and the project changed last second, and we don't know what we're going to do. And by the way, it's like so humid and, and sweaty, like I just sweated the moment I walked outside. And he said, you also need to know that the president has ticked off the country. And uh, there was a mining contract done, and things have not gone well. The president gave each of his guys $2 million each, and the people found out about it. They're kind of sucking up the natural resources, this mining company from out of country, and um, people are upset. So there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people protesting while you're here. Well, welcome to Panama, right? <laughs> and, uh, and it was true that the whole time we were there. In fact, streets were shut down. Schools were shut down. I went to serve this Christian school. I went to love on this church. I mean, what do you mean there's no kids on this trip? You know, we had people go on the trip and they said, hey, I'm really not great at building blocks with like mortar and brick, but, but I can paint and I can, you know, do anything you need. And yeah, great. And then we get there and they go, hey, uh, things changed a little bit. You're going to probably need to do some brick work, right? All of a sudden, like, okay, God, what's going on? Have you ever been in one of those situations where you have to just say, God, I got to be flexible. I got to trust you because I can't change it anyways, right? Here we are. If you're going to go on a trip where there's going to be some struggles and challenges like that, let me give you a hint. Go with good people. And have some good people praying for you back home because it turned out to be amazing in spite of all the struggles. One day we were actually uh, on the way to the job site to work there and to build up the walls. We went into a grocery store, came back out of the grocery store. In fact, we were called out by our team and they said, we've got to leave now. The, the, the police are here and they want us all back on the bus. And we're like, what is the big deal? Like, we've been living in this protest the whole time we're here. And look down the street and there's black smoke everywhere and people are throwing rocks. And they said, your bus cannot get through there. Buses are targets for rocks, and the fires are starting, and you need to turn around and get out of here. And, uh, you know, so it was like, okay, God, what are we going to do? That particular day, we walked into the ministry center. There was 100 presents for kids on the, on the tables. We said, we'll wrap those. 
right? It took like 20 people each wrapping four presents, and that was done in like 10 minutes. And I was like, well, missionary, we blessed you today, right? So you would have been here a long time. And, uh, and then we just had this incredible time of prayer and worship. And imagine the civil unrest and the spiritual darkness and the pain and the anger, the anger in the city and the unjust things that were happening in the city, not just with the protests, but other things. And this group of 23 people entered into Panama City and worshiped and prayed with passion and anointing. And you could almost just feel some things breaking in the spiritual realms while we were praying in that city that day. We didn't get to the job site. We didn't get to build the walls. But we tore down some walls in prayer. Sometimes I think we just don't realize everything that God is up to um, that we don't always see. Let me give you a few points here. Number one is this. While you can't control your circumstances, you can always control your attitude. Right? Okay, God. Things are going a little bit right, a little bit left, but still I'm going to honor you however I can. You can't always control your circumstances, but you can control how you respond to them and your attitude. I love the serenity prayer that says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And there's a lot of them. The courage to change the things that I can change. And there's a lot of those. And here's the important part. The wisdom to know the difference. Because I believe for myself and for so many of us, we waste so much energy, so much heartache and anxiety worrying about or trying to change things that we really have no power to change. Anybody else guilty besides me? I mean, hours of our life, days of our lives. And what if we had the wisdom to instead invest all that mental energy into, into having the courage to change the things that we can actually have an impact on? Okay, so we can't do this, and there's nothing we can do about that, but we can certainly impact this. Instead of getting slowed down and discouraged, we're going to press the accelerator. We're going to serve this way. You get to control your attitude. Serenity is the state of being calm, peaceful, and untroubled. The exact opposite of Panama City this last week. I love the saying, you can't control the wind, but you can adjust the sails. And you may have to do that in your job. You may have to do that in your family. Something has happened in your life that's painful, that's beyond your control, and you can't fix it. If you could fix it, you already would have. And so instead, you have to pray. You have to ask God's help. You have to have an incredible attitude in the process. Listen, what are the circumstances in your life that you can't control? Maybe just right now even name one or two of those situations. And then decide today, Lord, if I can't change this, I'm not going to let this drain me. I'm going to focus my energy on the things that I do have the power to change. I'm going to have the wisdom to see and recognize that. On this trip, there was a lot that we couldn't change. There was a lot of things that went wrong. So we developed the model just the way we like it. So they came and they said, hey, we're going to have rice for the fourth day in the row. I was like, man, just the way we like it. I was praying for rice today, right? <laughs> Humidity, sweaty t-shirts. The moment you walk outside, man, that's just the way I like to work, you know? Today we're mixing mortar, we're laying bricks like yesterday and the day before that. Oh, I was hoping we were laying bricks today. You know, the citywide is in protest, the schools are shut down, the streets are being shut down. Man, that's just the way we like mission trips, right? We're just fixing our attitude to honor God in the midst of our circumstances. Let me give you point number two. Look beyond your first glance. Because as humans, we can be so short-sighted. We only see what we see and we think that's all that's there, but there's so much more going on around us. If only we could see it, if only we knew it, we missed the bigger picture of what's really happening. Outside the window of my hotel, there was this building. And every day I'd look out that, that, my window and I'd see this building. But that's only a small piece of what I was seeing. If you got a bigger picture outside my window, this is what you would see. This is the building that I just showed you. 
And we're in the midst of Panama City, the banking district of Central and South America. And all these skyscrapers around us. Yeah, there's poverty. Yeah, they're struggling. There's also a lot of wealth in that area. And sometimes we just see a small bit. And we don't see everything that's happening and going on in that day. And I wonder when we stopped and we said, God, we couldn't go work on the, on the school today. We couldn't build up those walls today. Lord, this is kind of a sad day, a wasted day. Maybe God said, no, this is your most important day. This is where I'm going to use you to shake the walls of the city in unique ways. God sends reinforcements. God sends us to love on a missionary family, to grow our character, to bond as a team. We had a missionary, his name is Garrett. Garrett and his wife Tara and their two kids were there. It's always fun to minister to the team. Garrett had this shirt on the first day we met him. Vales mas. In Espanol, some of you know what it means. It means you are worth more. And he said, this was our theme four years ago. And he said, but we've loved it so much we just kept it. And I said, can I get one of those shirts? He says, I got one for the whole team. So we're all wearing them. In fact, we might make some here just to sell them to you if you want to get a shirt like this. What a powerful message. You are worth more. Yeah, but I got broken up with, or I got divorced, or my, I lost the promotion, or I lost my job, or I screwed up, or I made a mistake. Listen, your life is not the sum total of all your mistakes. God doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as how you will be. I love that. Like, you're worth more. If you're devaluing yourself, if you're devaluing a relationship, understand this, that you're worth the Son of God going to the cross for your sins. That's, you're pretty valuable. You're worth more than you think you are. You are worth more. And so that's become part of our belief as well. Number three is this. Build something uh, with your life that will outlast you. I love the fact that we've been a part of building this church, but I love the fact that I've got to build other churches both physically and with my giving, build other churches, other schools, other ministries, other orphanages. Uh, when you build something, you know, it's kind of like, hey, this is pretty cool because it's hopefully going to outlast. Now, if I build it, I'm not sure it's going to outlast me. Uh, but, but there's people that went on the trip, and when they build it, it was powerful. So Jesus and his disciples are there, and Jesus begins to outlive his life. And the disciples begin to outlive their lives, and we can outlive our lives as well. We arrived at the uh, job site the very first day. There's no walls. There's just a giant building, some 15 feet up, and there's a roof on it. Um, here, and, but there's no walls around any of this, you know, 40-foot-long building by, I don't know, 40 by 25 or something, whatever it was, maybe 50, I don't know. And there's a building there. There's no walls there. And so they say, okay, so we're going to put walls there. And so uh, we began to construct walls with brick and mortar. Um, go ahead and put up some of those pictures there. So we began, oh, this is a fun one. Stop there, if you will. So we get to the site, and they say, um, listen, there's one way up to the job where we're going to be building the walls, and it's a ladder. And it's a long ladder. And we got people in their 60s and 70s going, what? <laughs> you have to go up a ladder? Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's one thing to get up that ladder. And it's kind of bungee corded at the top to the roof, so it's safe. And then, like, you climb off the ladder. But it's another thing to get back on the ladder. So I apologize for the two people that we had to leave there that wouldn't get back on the ladder. But <laughs> I mean, you just kind of go, I mean, what are you going to do? God, I came to serve. I don't want to go up that ladder. But I came to serve, and so everybody figured it out. We're going we're gonna to climb that ladder and begin building uh, the walls with bricks, and uh, we had to, like, mix the mortar and hand it up, like, you know, one person to another person to another person, and throw all the mortar on the ground, mix it all up, pick up your trowel, and begin to just kind of, you know, lay it on the bricks. And obviously Rob's having a good time with that. Go to the next person. Um, Valentina building this wall up. You know, like some of you have done, how many have ever built a wall like this before? Anybody done it before? Yeah, we need your help next time because you probably could do this well. All right, here's Ellis doing that too. Now, they're all building a great wall. I decided to work on my section, and it turned out kind of like this. 
I mean, they, they look good to me. Um, not everybody's gift is building, but it was fun to do that, <laughs> to build those walls up. Um, church gathering, we got to go to church gathering on Sunday morning. Man, I love to worship with other people of different cultures. I got to get up and address the, the crowd there and just bless them and thank those missionaries. The, that's the husband and wife there. And just be a part of a worship experience in another culture. Man, I was so people starved after spending the week with Bricks and, and with my team. It was so awesome to worship there. And in the evenings, we had three different nights where we had amazing meals. And so this is a, a sushi picture uh, there too. So if you're here and you're like, I don't want to ever go on a mission trip, it's all work. There's also a lot of fun as well. And a lot of great relationship building that happens. And finally, I got to hang out with a couple of kids. And I said, hey, do you want to shoot a video for my wife back home? And so they shot this quick video for her. <laughs> if you didn't catch it, they said, your husband is very fun. Because I told them to say that in Spanish, all right? Good kids, those kids. God willing, that wall will outlast me. And thousands of kids will be discipled in that place. Thousands of kids. It is so fun to have something that you work on that's going to outlive your life, something stable, something that's going to be concrete. And I can say in that small part of the world, I had a part of what those missionaries are doing, what those teachers are doing, what those pastors are doing in that area. We have a, a project here at our church. We have a, a vacant lot right here in the corner. Uh, we own the land. And just in the last couple of months, we've been praying, God, maybe what we need to do to raise up pastors and leaders is to have our own internship um, process that like brings people in from other states and other places and really develop our, our next youth pastors and, and worship pastors and kids pastors and develop them and send them out and missionaries and send them into other, other places. And so we got a vision for this, and we're probably going to build a house in this coming year right on that spot. And I was thinking about this, this, this point of, uh, you know, building something with your life that will outlast you. And I, I, I would just love to say, man, we built a house there. And wouldn't it be cool if every time you drove by Ruddle Road, you know, you would just say, hey, I put the flooring in that house. Hey, hey, I bought the microwave in that house that the interns live in there. Or I, I gave financially to help that thing happen. Or I put in some of the HVAC. Or I, you know, like whatever your part is, it's so fun to say, I'm a part of something that's bigger than me. It's going to outlast me. And I got to serve there. And I got to give sacrificially. Everyone building upon uh, this work that will outlast our own lives. So three points. You can't control your circumstances, but you can control your attitude. You got to look beyond your first glance to see what's really happening in your life, in your city. And you got to build something with your life that will outlast you. I want to close with the story of the Panama Canal. Anybody been to the Panama Canal before? Just maybe a few that went on the trip and a few here today. The Panama Canal is quite an interesting story. You know, there was a day where you couldn't, you know, early 1900s, you, you had to go around South America in your boat to get to the other side. And, and people began to realize, like, we have ships that are collapsing. This is taking us months. It's super expensive. It's super time-consuming, and it's dangerous. we got to find another way. And so the French came over, and they decided they were going to cut their way through, like, this 51 miles of Panama so that they could have a boat go through there. And they worked on that, trying to remove that dirt for nine years, and the French gave up. And then the Americans moved in. Yeah. I have French-Canadian in me, so if you're French, just chill out, all right? So the Americans come in. And as they're sharing this story, they said the Americans built the canal with a system of locks. You know, they can raise ships 85 uh, feet or lower them 85 feet just with water and gravity. And marvelous system. And they said, but it takes 8 to 10 hours for a ship to come into the canal and then enter through the three locks and, and go out the other side. 51 
uh, miles, that canal is, eight to ten hours. They said the largest ships can be uh, cost uh, the toll to get your barges through with 13,000 containers on those barges. 13,000 containers, they look like giant cities. They said it's $300,000 or more per ship. And I quickly did the math, and I said, you know, three or four ships, we could pay the church's mortgage off with that. That would be kind of cool. $300,000 to $400,000. So the next time you go through the Narrows Bridge toll, you might say, you know, that's not that bad. The smallest toll ever paid was not $300,000 or $400,000. The smallest toll ever paid to go through the Panama Canal was in 1928. A man named Richard Halliburton paid 36 cents to swim the Panama Canal in five days. I was like, this guy is crazy. 51 miles. Swim as far as he can. Get on a boat, rest. The next morning, get up, swim as far as he can. Get on a boat. Pretty cheap, 36 cents. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records. What's interesting is they said this. This just became the most mind-boggling part. They said, you're not allowed to drive your own ship through the canal. You have to have a specially trained pilot who works for the canal. They have 250 to 300 pilots at any time. And he has to get on. He has to board your vessel outside of the one side of the canal, go on the boat all the way through the 51 miles. When you get far enough out the other side, then he gets off the boat. Eight to ten hours. It's like, that's his day. One boat is his day. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. He becomes the acting captain the moment he gets on the ship. He knows the canal. He doesn't have to use the steering materials on your ship. He just has to be in the wheel room. And I started thinking about this. Like, they actually take a boat out. And they will often lower, but sometimes even a, a rope. Sometimes they'll even board the, the pilot via a helicopter. And he has to stand in the control room because as you go through that channel, sometimes there's only a foot on the right side and a foot on the left side of this giant barge. And there's cables and there's mules, mechanical vehicles that guide you across. And he understands how it works. Because if you go a little bit right, a little bit left, and you get stuck... You mess up your life, and you mess up a lot of other people, right? And I thought, this is kind of like faith. Like, we have to say, Jesus, I want you to pilot my life. I want you to get on, and I want you to be in the control room, and I want you to make the decisions, and I want you to guide my life because I know that I'll probably mess it up. And when I get in those tight spots, and Lord, I get into them more than I should. I know that you can guide me through. The only thing is, Lord, when we get to the other side of this really rough passage, don't get off. Jesus, stay in the wheel room of my life and pilot my life. And someday when we come back around and we're going back through and they say, hey, we got to send you a pilot, you say, you don't have to send one. Because the one I've got has been with me, and he's still with me today. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Life is better when you invite Jesus into the wheelhouse, when you let him pilot your life. He knows the path in front of you better than you do. You don't have to try to do it alone.
Today is a great day just to stop and say, Lord, I need you. I don't want to try to operate my life as if I'm some all-consuming, all-knowing person, because I'm not. I'm a sinner saved by grace like everyone else. So Jesus, come into my life for real. Teach me, show me, lead me, guide me. Help me to navigate all the stuff that I'm going through, all the behaviors I struggle with, the thought life that I have. I need your help. But when I get through this time in my life, don't leave. I certainly don't want you to get off. I want you to stay with me for the rest of my life. If that's your prayer, would you raise your hand really high today? Jesus, come into my life. Pilot, my life, show me where to go. Anybody else? Let's pray. Well, there's a lot of commitments that we can make. We commit our lives to so many things, to our jobs, our families. But Lord, the greatest commitment we'll ever make is to you. God, I need you. You created me. And if you'll forgive me and lead me, I want you in my life. Lord, today we ask that you would be the pilot of our lives. Lord, some of us right now, we're going through that narrow passage and it's easy to get a little bit right or get a little bit left and find ourselves not where we want to be. So Lord, today we decide we're living for you. We're not living for money. We're not living for fame. We're not living for the applause of men. We're not living for pleasure. We're not living to keep up with our neighbor or our friend or what they think we should do. And Lord, if uh, circumstances are beyond our control, we'll control our attitude. God, give us wisdom and change things that we can and, and to know, God, there's things that we can't change. Lord, help us to see beyond just our first initial glance and understand there's, there's more going on outside that window. There's more going on in the spiritual realm than I can see. And God, as we decide to follow you, help us to build a life that will last on the rock. And God, help us to impact lives. To do something with the resources we have that will outlast ourselves. Jesus, you saw our hands, you know our hearts. We invite you today. Lord, make my life greater than I could ever make it on my own. I lay it down. And together with you, I'll pick it back up. Live differently from the world on purpose, on a mission for the one who gave me this life. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Man, what a great presence. What a great spirit in church today. Thank you for living on the mission with Jesus. You're going to come in contact with somebody today or tomorrow. God wants to use you in their life. Be a blessing wherever you can. All right? If you want to sign up for membership, you can do it at the information counter. There's all sorts of other things as well. Man, God bless you. Have an incredible week in the Lord.